exile from the citadel of thought for daring to speak the truth. Shunned for the crime of thinking freely. Cancelled for not being woke. Yet truth will not be silent. And now, broadcasting from a rebel bunker somewhere deep in the backcountry, The Professor. All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm the professor. I'd like to welcome you all to our inaugural show. Here at the professor, we lay bare the impact that radical left ideology is having on our systems of education, our freedoms, and our future. Today, I'd like to take some time to discuss education particularly institutions of Western education. Academia has long been a bulwark of free thinking and unfettered advancement, a, a furnace of thoughts, ideas, debate, discussion that's meant to forge and temper the blade of progress. It's a sacred institution that today, sadly, is responsible for the internal erosion of the very civilization it has created. How is it that we have climbed so far up the mountain only to hurl ourselves like lemmings off the cliff? Now, I have spent most of my life in education, teaching, administrating, overseeing, forging at that anvil of free thought. But today that anvil is cracked. That forge lays cold and the, the steel is unshapen, untempered, and dull. Cancel culture, critical race theory, left-wing Marxist ideologies, illusions of systemic racism and concepts of so-called white privilege. They pervade and erode that citadel of free thought from within. Cancers a pestilence that seeks not to lift up, but only to tear things down. Will they succeed? Will that tower crumble and fall, a pile of dust, ruins waiting to be picked over by vultures of leftist woke progress? I, for one, pray it will not. Now, there will be people out there that will think that what I am saying is perchance racist, or it's insensitive, or it's unfair. And that's their right. And I applaud them for it. But also, let me humbly let you in on a little secret. Life is not fair. Life is not equitable, and life is not sensitive. Life is struggle. Life is hard. Life is what you make of it. The fact that this great American experiment allows you this opportunity, this ability to determine your own future and fate. Well, it's a gift from God unlike any other. What you choose to do with that gift, well, that's the beauty of free will. Now, it has very little to do with race. In fact, for decades, academia fought back against that concept, 
this idea of quote-unquote race. Did you know, for example, that during the first half of the 19th century, there was a gentleman by the name of Samuel Morton. He was one of the most preeminent and prominent scientists of his time. He was convinced that people could be classified as a part of one of five distinct races, each sprouting from its own separate act of creation. Now, he utilized measurements of cranial capacity, and through that he sought to demonstrate, using scientific study, that there was a natural hierarchical order to the races. Caucasians, East Asians, South Asians, Native Americans, and Black. Superior to inferior. Now, after his death in 1851, Morton was hailed for his contributions to science and for finally defining through science the true position of the races. Morton's research showed that one race of man was inherently superior to another. His would be an argument that would be used to justify the institution of slavery. Just as God gave man dominion over the earth, so too should one race have dominion over another. After all, as Morton showed, it was the natural order of things. Now, imagine if academia had simply accepted Morton's ideas. If academics and scientists and scholars had never bothered to challenge, to question, or to debate them. But, yep, no use debating. No, it's done. Morton proved it. Time to move on. The thing is, science and academics didn't do that. They continued to question, to debate, and to challenge. Eventually, it was able to demonstrate through the study of DNA and genetics the fallacy of Morton's claims. Now, for example, a 2018 article was put out by the Harvard Graduate School of Art and Sciences. And it notes, and I quote, all right, a landmark 2002 study by Stanford scientists examined the question of human diversity by looking at the distribution across seven major geographical regions of 4,000 alleles. Now, alleles are the different flavors, if you will, of gene. So for instance, all humans have the same genes that code for hair the different alleles, why hair comes in all types of colors and textures. Now, in the Stanford study, over 92% of alleles were found in two or more regions, and almost half of the alleles studied were present in all seven major geographical regions. The observation that the vast majority of the alleles were shared over multiple regions or even throughout the entire world, points to the fundamental similarity of all people around the world, an idea that is supported by numerous other studies. Now, if separate racial or ethnic groups actually existed, we would expect to find quote-unquote trademark alleles and other genetic features that are characteristic of a single group but not present in any others. However, this Stanford study from 2002 found that only 7.4%, 7.4% of over 4,000 alleles were specific to one geographical region. Think about that. 
Now, furthermore, even when region-specific alleles did appear, they only occurred in about 1% of the people from that region, hardly enough to be any kind of a trademark. Thus, there is no evidence that the groups that we commonly call races have distinct unifying genetic identities. In fact, there is ample variation within races. Ultimately, there is so much ambiguity between the quote-unquote races and so much variation within them that two people of European descent, for example, may be more genetically similar to someone from Asia than they are to each other. So, debate, argumentation, and the quest for knowledge made significant headway to eliminating the prejudice of judging another individual by their race. By the turn of the millennium, society began placing emphasis on merit. Now, in his I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King Jr. himself said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That dream was becoming reality. Affirmative action was shown not to work. Questions of race were removed from job and university applications. Applicants were judged not on their gender, race, or sexuality, but rather on what they were capable of doing. Rather than ticking boxes, it became about fulfilling the role with the best qualified candidate. The march towards a society of equality was well underway and becoming realized, thanks in no small part to the efforts of those in academics. Ah, but it was too good to last. The left suddenly found itself without an enemy. The batteries were running low on their bullhorn. Very little was left to cry about. Society, albeit imperfect, was making positive movement towards equality. Not an equality of separation, but for the first time, true equality. A time where people would be judged on the merits, on the content of their character. And the left, well, well, the left was going to have none of that. For you can't have a battle without an enemy. With an ideology that's built on tearing others down, how would the left lift itself up without someone to denigrate? Ah, but fear not. For those tiny seeds of leftist ideology planted in that garden of academic knowledge nearly 60 years ago were about to burst forth and bear fruit. <laughs> Join me on our next episode when we examine the rise of postmodernism in academia and its slow but steady corruption of Western education and progress. Until then, stay strong, stay informed, Stay vigilant. Deus Volt. <laughs>